0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Syslog. Um, today we do not meet in the secret podcast recording location, but we're all meeting from uh, home and we're connected remote. Um, we're somewhere in the beginning or middle or whatever you want to call it of the Corona crisis. Uh, our guest today is Michael uh, and we did have another topic picked uh Actually, we wanted to talk about scheduling, but we had to reschedule a few times, and now we will talk about uh, Corona tracking apps. Um, Yeah, Michael, uh, welcome to the show.
1: Yes, uh, hello from me as well, also here sitting in my secret recording layer. So I am currently working at the Bauhausen Institute as an operating systems person, so I guess none of us has any background in epidemiology or anything like that, so it's going to be interesting talking about this. But uh, we can talk about like the technical, the technical side of of those tracking apps that are going around now.
2: Um, so, uh, Michel, the last time we actually worked together, so Flo, um, you and me, we were all at the operating systems chair and you have now moved to the Barkhausen Institute. Can you give a bit of background on what that is actually?
1: Sure. So I actually moved there and then part of me moved back. It's all very complicated. So the Barkhausen Institute uh, is an an independent research institute. It is uh, kind of closely attached to TU Dresden, but uh, administratively it's independent. Um, And we're doing research on the general topic is is iot and security and uh also yeah technical things so we have a hardware group we have uh wireless people we have um chip designers so the, the, the story really is that we try to integrate different research areas and the operating systems is one of them, which is the one I'm working on. Uh, and so we try to build integrated systems, which is something that is somewhat hard at the university because everybody is so far away from each other in different departments. Uh, and there it's really just across the room. And that's really nice. Um, lately, I've actually moved back Forty percent of me has moved back to TU Dresden because the operating systems chair is currently uh, vacant in the sense that the former head Harman Hertig, has retired officially, and there is no successor yet. So I'm filling in there as well, which yeah is currently quite an interesting job. So you have two different two different employers with different. Rules on how to work the corona crisis, but it's so far it's sort of working. I'm I'm sitting here and being part time this, part time that.
2: Uh, That's actually interesting. So, um, yeah, I also imagine that the Theodristen work is a bit more administrative compared to the Barkhausen. Yeah.
1: yeah. Very true. So, if you are. but sort of yeah i'm I'm now an s- acting professor so to say and that's that's a lot of administrative work
2: well someone has to do yeah, it that's, and uh, uh, i think you you were the natural choice <laughs> probably yes um um so i think the follow-up question is with this uh the the, the topic you described about the, the, the barkhausen institute how did this move into the Corona direction. I mean, we're, we're recording this on April twenty-first, so it's, it's still very much dominating the news. Um, when when did it slowly move to Corona and
1: so the contact tracing? It's probably all due to uh, Gerhard Fetzweis, who is uh, the founder of the borkhausen Institute and also professor at TU Dresden, uh, and he's very well networked in. Pretty much everything I would say that deals with computers, um, especially uh, also somewhat into the politics area, I guess. So I don't know where exactly it came from, why he got asked, and by whom. But uh, in one of our morning calls that we do at the at the Borkhausen Institute now that we're not moving in person, uh, not meeting in person. Uh, He mentioned that there is this app being developed and that he wants sort of people to participate and and everybody should think what they can do. Uh, And so I raised my hand because I have in my spare time a little bit of experience with iOS app development and some experience with the APIs and stuff. Uh, and so I said, yeah, I can help. And Stefan Köpsel also uh, raised his hand and said he can help with the security and privacy part. And that's essentially how we got in.
2: So Stefan is currently the acting head of the security and privacy exactly. chair at
1: that's That's exactly right. So we are not the only two guys from our institute who joined, but uh, those are the two that that uh, I have talked to recently. <laughs> So well, that's weird. I haven't talked to myself, but I have talked to Stefan before this before this podcast. So some of it is also so, and- touching his area of security and privacy, and that's why I wanted to get up to date on the latest concepts.
2: So if I see the Barkhausen uh, logo on the Pep PT website, this is basically Stefan and you
1: and Garrett advice. Yeah, that's. Oh, okay. Mostly the people who are active right now. Uh,
0: speaking of that, how, <laughs> how many uh, people are there in this PEPPT thing? I mean,
1: that's a good question, actually. I, I don't know how many okay. it's in total. <laughs> it's probably way upwards of 100, I would say. Uh, okay. So, the way it works right now is that I'm in a lot of calls every day like two two and a half hours of meetings Um, most of them i have just sitting like muted in the uh, over on the side on my desk and some people are talking and i'm doing work Um, but some of them are actually important and it's it's quite hard to get so many people to collaborate. So I guess management-wise, those people who are doing the management, it's probably a nightmare for them because they have to try and get everybody into those calls and have the, 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 the information dissemination that it reaches everyone who needs to know something. That's probably not easy right now. So yeah, that's why I also don't really know how many people there are because I only see the manager's of companies who are in the calls and then the, the, the busy bees who are doing the actual work are probably sitting somewhere in the home office and getting their info from their manager. So there's a lot of companies involved and they only send management into the calls.
2: Hmm. Um, so we, we've mentioned now already the name of this project, the PEP PT Talk. Can you give a little bit of a broad strokes overview what this actually seeks out to do?
1: Yeah, so... I actually have to look up what it means. I can't remember. Uh, Pan-European yeah. privacy-preserving proximity tracing. Yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, that's PEPPT. Sounds about right. So it's, it's a hard acronym. It's not the. It doesn't roll off the tongue. But uh, so yeah, that's that's what what it's called. Um, and the general idea is to help in stopping the spread of the disease of of the coronavirus disease and doing that by essentially tracing which people have been in contact with each other essentially doing the work in an automated fashion that is doing manually by the contact tracers in in the health authorities when you are tested positive, then they try to call everyone who you have been in contact with and then tell them that they should probably get tested or self-quarantine or something like that, at least that they are aware that they were in contact with someone who tested positive. And that work is something that should be automated. And this is what all of these app projects are essentially about, is to to kind of use technology to make this process more precise and faster because time is is important here Uh, the sooner you can tell people that they have been in contact with someone who tested positive the sooner you can react and the sooner they can get tested or they can at least be careful and and maybe stay at home more rigorously Um, and and that would help slowing down the spread so this is one measure that is being discussed that could help i am of course not an epidemiologist so i don't know how effective that really is but um, other people who are smaller in this area than, than, than i am have told us have, have given reasonable scientific arguments that this makes sense
2: i think the way i see that uh, as a, as a lay person um, is that um, if we have a tool that does that we don't need the countrywide shutdown yeah so probably we can have the surgical quarantine exactly it's not the people that
1: should quarantine yeah you, re- you replace the yeah. quarantine sledgehammer of putting everyone at home with something more precise yeah that's probably the hope
2: and um this project uh, so I, there's a i have a pdf in front of me uh, the pet pt team has members from these countries um and Uh, names a couple of central European countries like Austria, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, and Spain. So is is this really a European project? Is this the only European
1: project? So I'm not sure if it's the only one. I think some of the competing projects are also international. Uh, But it really is the case. So in the calls, you really have people from... France, you have people from the UK, you have people from yeah, Italy all of those countries all of those accents I have heard in the calls um, so that is definitely the case that everybody talks English and there's a lot of, a lot of easily recognizable European accents in those calls including German <laughs> so I don't want to yeah, so I would say
2: then, not like in our podcast where we only have one easily recognizable accent. <laughs> okay. um, exactly. Yeah. So th- this sounds a lot like the the projects I was also involved in in the um, in my university time. The the only difference that I can see now is that um, if any of my former projects would have burned down and had zero outcome, uh, no one would have cared. <laughs> and uh, this is definitely different for for this project so um is is there the sense of of having to accomplish something
1: i think there's a lot of pressure i mean not so much on me i would say uh, because i'm not doing work that is on the critical path Um, but for those guys who are leading or who are participating from companies that are really tasked with some critical development effort, like the guy who leads the company doing the Android development or the guys from the back-end team, Um, I think they really feel the pressure that that everybody is looking at them. And we get deadlines from, I guess, in the end, from politics uh, when something should be done, when something needs to be released. And that those deadlines then trickle down into those companies and to the people doing the actual development. So I guess there was, for many of them, there was quite a bit of crunch time in the last weekends. So that probably many of them had no Easter time. Uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely something you can feel that people are under pressure there to do something. Which might also explain why well, some... Yeah, some of the PR management was a bit, yeah, suboptimal. I would say, uh, and I guess that's that's some of the reason of that is that everybody tries to be quick and high quality and low bugs, and that doesn't fit together well.
2: Um. That's definitely a very unusual project uh, as far as European projects go. Um, but uh, let's come a bit more to the technical aspects where we probably feel a bit more at home. Um, I mean, I think the, the layperson would would say like, hey, why don't you just ask all the um, uh, ISPs, all the mobile phone uh, mobile network providers Um Everyone to give their data to the nice people um, at some government agency, and they will figure out who had contact with whom.
1: So yeah, there's definitely the approach that has been employed in other countries. Like yeah, primarily, I guess the Asian countries have moved forward with this whole uh, using an app on phones to to help with the corona disease um, the problem is that we specifically or not just we but all of the tracing apps that are being discussed in in europe and in the us uh, are moving away from using gps or or telemetry, telemetry from the from the uh, phone networks because that's way too coarse-grained um you would need yeah gps is is in the in the Accuracy, I guess, of meters. So that's not that's not really precise enough, especially if you are in, in buildings where yeah you know, multiple people live in the same GPS coordinates without being in contact because houses have multiple floors. So that is something. Yeah, and where...
2: for GSM, it would be for GSM, it would be even worse. It would be in the uh, it it would be uh,
1: street blocks. Exactly. So that is that, that you would send way too many people into quarantine or. Uh, yeah so that's that's one aspect why these things are not are not a good fit for the problem space and the others of course the whole aspect of privacy is these information sources really only make sense when you centralize them because of the inaccuracies you usually couple them with other stuff so with things like surveillance cameras and and other sources of data that have been uh blended together in those in those other efforts uh which is something that probably wouldn't fly here in europe or in the us uh, because yeah, people are have a di- bit of different different priorities so here the focus is more that we want to be privacy preserving which is for pet pt that's part of the acronym um, And the technical realization of that usually is that we're looking at some local tracing facility where you can locally detect that you are in proximity to someone uh, and then you store that locally until you are infected. So until you are tested positive, until you know you are infected and then you are asked and hopefully that's all going to be voluntary but that again is a political decision. Uh, Then you are asked to essentially warn others somehow. And the details is where it gets tricky. Uh, one thing we need is how do we detect proximity to other people? And they are the most discussed technology right now is Bluetooth because that's something you can turn on on your phone and it will send like a little beacon that other phones can detect. And it has limited physical range usually of a couple of meters uh and that means if you detect it you are pretty close to someone and then you can also use tricks like measuring the signal strength in order to more closely or more accurately figure out how how long and for what distance you have met someone
2: okay so let me try to summarize so the the at the very lowest layer, everyone would have their Bluetooth enabled. Every phone would send little beacons. Every other phone would sort of record all the beacons it sees with uh, like an estimated distance. And then everyone has in their hands a, a digital record of who they were in contact with, where who means uh, pseudonymous, pseudonymous um, exactly. identifiers. So
1: usually you either make up random numbers that you broadcast for a while and then you make up a new random number and broadcast that for a while and the time ranges are usually like 15 minutes up to an hour uh, until then you use the same number and then you change it and yeah, and then you would record those numbers on the other side if you see them, if you detect them um, f- Due to some details we can discuss later, that's not exactly how it's done because then you would have too many numbers that you would need to send around in case you want to tell people that you who you have been in contact with. Uh, that's why it usually uses some cryptographic tricks in order to have a seed value from which you then use a pseudo random number generator that determines those those IDs uh, in an algorithmic fashion and not really random so from the outside they would look random but in fact they are generated from some seed value and then you would only need to publish the seed value
2: so at this kind of technical at the lowest layer this seems very straightforward so are there already challenges in that uh, space
1: no i guess that part is pretty straightforward so at least from the privacy and cryptography standpoint is that you figure out some pseudonymous numbers usually pseudo pseudorandom uh, that you broadcast as bluetooth beacons and then the other side can detect it of course the technical implementation issues they already begin there uh, I don't know if we already want to go into that right now
2: yeah sure right okay. um, Yeah, I assume you mean the um, how does it actually work on, on real phones yes, exactly
1: Angle. So the problem, of course, is if you want to implement such a Bluetooth substrate that sends out these beacons and then detects it and records it uh, on the other end, in, in the other phones, um, you need to develop an app that can do that in the background. Because ultimately that's it's it's impossible to tell people that they need to keep their phone awake that that wouldn't work so they want to have it in their pocket and it will go to sleep Um, and then the problem is you need to manage those random number rotation or those pseudo random number rotation uh, while the phone is while the app is suspended on the phone and that's already a problem at least on some phones. Yeah, it's a problem on some versions of Android, uh, especially some of the larger Chinese manufacturers. They have a tendency to kill stuff in the background. So there's actually a website that's don'tkillmyapp.com, I think, uh, which rates phone manufacturers by how aggressive they kill background applications. Uh, And Huawei is top of the list. So, they very aggressively optimize for battery life and just don't have stuff running if it's not showing UI. And so that becomes a problem because then you can't make up new random IDs and you can't change the ID you're broadcasting. And you also can't, maybe, can't record the, the things you're seeing. You probably
0: uh, can't even broadcast, right? I mean, if you're not running, they- how would you? It depends on how the Bluetooth
1: APIs work. So for some, you just set it up and then it continuously advertises uh, and you don't need to do anything in in your own application code for that. That's usually, I think, how those APIs work. At least that's how it works on iOS. There you essentially just configure the Bluetooth system and then it does that autonomously. So you just need to reconfigure it every hour to use a new new ID. Uh, On iOS, the problems are actually different is that they, whenever the app goes into the background, they use a more lightweight version of the advertisement frames in Bluetooth, due to power reasons, presumably. Um, And unfortunately, those have not the bits that we need. So they don't have the random ID in there any longer. You would actually need to wake up the app and make a connection in order to get the ID. And that doesn't work if the other end is in the background as well. So when both ends are in background, then on iOS, it doesn't work. They can't see each other. They don't get woken up and there's nothing you can do really. So those, those Bluetooth APIs were really designed to talk to things like, I don't know, heart rate monitors or stuff like that. So where the other end, in, in this case, the heart rate monitor doesn't, go to the background because there is no background. Uh, Yeah, but really having two phones talk to each other over Bluetooth in this fashion where both ends of the communication have stuff running in the background only, that was never intended. And so that's why a lot of the platform APIs currently make problems there. Is that if you try to implement it and you put the phones next to each other and they both go to sleep, then it just stops. And that's not helpful.
0: Solving these problems is where this Google-Apple, uh, let's call it alliance, comes in. Um, so yes, I think, essentially. So I think one thing yeah. that's been misunderstood, at least maybe by non-technical people, is that Apple and Google are not actually developing their own app, but they're just making sure that these problems we just talked about go away,
1: more or less. Mm. Uh, it's not it's not that easy uh, they don't just make these problems go away unfortunately that would be the good version of it um, but they actually build their own API so they don't change the Bluetooth apis the Bluetooth apis continue to work as they do today uh, with all those problems that they that they have today for for this kind of application uh, instead they are developing new API so they're developing something where the entire substrate of the contact tracing, all the layer that we've talked about so far, this this generation of the IDs and broadcasting them over Bluetooth and recording when you see them, all of that would then be done outside of the app uh, by the operating system Um, in a way that only works for some of the proposed protocols, but not for all of them, because what the app then in the end really does, if it uses this SDK that, that is proposed now, it's, no one has seen it. We've, we've just seen the API documentation that, that Apple and Google uh, published. Uh, essentially, the app would just implement a big button where you can turn it on. That's all you can do. And then all the rest, all the cryptographic protocols, they're all implemented by, by the platform and not by the application.
2: Is there a name for this SDK? It would be nice to put them, uh, put that in the show notes for people to see.
1: I think there's no. I'm not aware of a name for it. So, um, it has been published.
2: Uh, we can we can check later, but uh, it would be interesting. Yeah, I would I think think we want can put a, a
1: r- link and and put it into the show notes. But it, it, I think contact tracing is probably the name that they gave it.
2: Ah, very creative. Yeah. Uh, I think we can uh, come back to this later because I think it's also interesting in, in a question like, w- when can we have all of this? Um, but, yeah. <laughs> um, one question I have. So how did Google and Apple actually decide on what they implemented? Was there already some form of proposal that they picked up or did just some Google engineer call some Apple engineer and say like, Hey, let's do this.
1: So disclaimer: uh, I'm wildly speculating now <laughs> because I have no no actual insight, um, but you can make an educated guess uh, from the fact that um, there are different approaches of the technical details of those systems. So on the fundamental level, broadcasting those pseudo random IDs and aggregating them locally uh, on the on the phone. Uh, That's something all of the proposals have in common. But they deviate when it comes to how do you inform others when you get tested positively. That's where the systems start to deviate and we can later talk about how they deviate and what the the impact is regarding privacy. Um, And so there are multiple different proposals going on and one of them Uh, which has been called the decentralized approach uh, is the one that has probably been proposed to Apple and Google. It was developed primarily by ETH and EPFL. So the two big or two of the big uh, Swiss universities and it's easy to imagine that they have good ties into Silicon Valley. I mean, Google is located in Zurich, so they are neighbors. Um, And yeah, some of the professors there come from California or have been, have been professors there as well, or have moved over from the U S. And so it's, it's quite easy to imagine that they have quite good collaboration. And that's why, it looks like the Google and Apple proposal favors this protocol that has been proposed by the by ETH and EPFL, which is, to make it concrete, is the DP3T uh, proposal. So those are quite close together.
2: I think this is a good point to switch to the centralized versus decentralized question. Um, yeah. So we can- <laughs> You mentioned now that there are different um, approaches out there. So I think it, it all starts at the point that you had earlier. like oh, now you have all of those IDs, but where do they go?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, a bit of history maybe. So PepPT originally was conceived as sort of, uh, yeah, um, a choice of building blocks. Uh, that's why we originally thought of uh, multiple different approaches. So, both in, in our calls, and I've actually been uh, witnessed that. So, both the centralized and the decentralized approach have been discussed. Um, but then certain people weird off uh, proposing only the decentralized approach, while PEPPT internally, when it came to developing more concretely the German implementation, was more gearing towards the centralized approach. And that's why we have this big media kerfuffle right now, uh, where somehow the decentralized approach is being positioned as the good one and the de- uh, and the centralized approach is being positioned as something evil, um, which I think is oversimplifying things a little bit. I mean, there are certainly trade-offs, but um, I think none of the approaches is really clearly dominating the other in terms of privacy. It's just that the trade-offs are different and we can discuss which one we like more and which one we like less but that's ultimately not a technical decision um so i mean yeah we can we can make that discussion here because it's i guess it's pretty interesting so the terms decentralized and centralized are actually a bit misleading i would say because the contexts that you detect over those bluetooth signals both approaches store them locally on the phone. So in that sense, all approaches are decentralized. The difference really just begins when you test it, and you're tested positive, and you want to upload enough information so that your contacts can be notified. That's when the differences begin. And there's one approach, uh, and I guess we can start with the decentralized approach, because that one is easier to explain, where you would essentially broadcast to everybody else your IDs that you used in the last, I don't know two weeks so that the time where you were contagious. Those IDs that you have broadcasted, you would publish them um, in the cloud, and every phone that participates in the system would download regularly download the list of IDs, and check whether it saw one of them in its own local uh, contact store. So it would essentially match the IDs you download to the IDs that are stored. And whenever you find a match, you would signal the user, hey, warning, you've been in contact with someone uh, who is infectious. Um, The... uh, There are are multiple problems with that approach. So one is you have to keep the data size manageable because if every phone wants to download the complete set of IDs regularly, um, the trick that we mentioned earlier needs to be applied. So you cannot just use random numbers. You have to have pseudo random numbers with a seed and then you only publish the seed in order to limit the amount of data that you need to broadcast. Um, Still, the phones need to download quite a substantial amount of data, and then they need to crunch through that data. Because now it's a seed and you need to calculate all of the IDs locally. Uh, And we're looking at like minutes to hours of computation every day, depending on how many people are infected. So for realistic infection numbers, this can go into hours. And that can be a bit of a problem. So, But that's just a technical problem. That's not a privacy problem. The privacy problem, and the, that's the biggest, I would say, biggest point of criticism for the decentralized approach is that once you find a match of one of those published IDs against your local uh, store, you know, or at least you can know, when you have been infected, when the when in time uh, you were in contact with someone who potentially infected you. And that can mean you can potentially de-anonymize the person who infected you. Because if you think back of where you were at that time, and if there was only one person close, then you know who could have infected you. And that might be a problem. So just to
0: um, get this in my head correct. um, So when I met, Meet with Julian on the street while shopping or something. Um, That's (laughs) what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, a couple of days later, I get the message that someone you've met with has been infected, and this is his ID. I can now calculate when I have seen that, and basically, then I know that Julian potentially infected me.
1: Yes, so that that would be the attack vector. I mean, of course, an actual app would not store the timestamps, hopefully, but you could make a modified version of the app that would store that. It it, it could store additional metadata, it could store GPS locations, or it could store where you were uh, as well. Uh, And then as soon as you make a match locally, then you can look up that metadata and you can see, okay, it was then and I was there. So you can then probably figure out who it was. Exactly. Uh,
2: So in the manual contact tracing where people actually phone around, all of this is known to the participants anyway. So if all the contact tracing would be done by the uh, health ministry, then this would not even be a question. Do I understand that correctly?
1: That's That's a good question. I actually don't know what they tell you. So if they tell you when it was and who it was, or if they just tell you that you have been in contact, but not with whom. I don't know what the phone call actually contains, well, but I mean, you have
0: to at least trust the the person making the call not to reveal that information. Yeah, because they obviously know who they are tracing right now. Um, and that's because uh, the whole coronavirus virus disease thing, at least in Germany, but I guess in most countries in the world is a disease that you have to report to the authorities so
1: um, yeah so they would know that you have it anyways exactly so
0: you're not in in no case in no scenario if you get the disease you you won't remain anonymous towards the state because the state requires you to tell Uh,
2: and just for completeness so this was the dp3t approach
1: yeah, that's mostly the DP3T approach, and some of the others also work quite similarly. So there is, uh, yeah, the other US uh, protocols. There is uh, a protocol by MIT which is called PACT, which is similar. Uh, there's another one also called PACT. Interestingly, they have two uh, with the same acronym. <laughs> they call it now PACT East Coast and PACT West Coast. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> and PACT if you google it then you will find that packed west coast has actually been renamed i think to covid help
2: i thought something? the two pack
1: no <laughs> um and then there's also tcn and they are all very similar so they all have that in common that you use the cloud only as a means to implement that broadcast so that everybody can download this daily or I don't know how often, but this this aggregated ledger of who reported themselves as infected. And then you can see your, in your local database whether that matches. So in that sense, those protocols are all very similar.
2: Okay, and now how is the... the remaining protocol not so similar The
1: remaining one exactly which is the centralized one which is the one that has been favored somewhat by peppt now uh, to implement the german version and we can also try to speculate why germany chose that version um, um, the protocol actually even has a name now it's called need to know i believe ntk is the acronym that i've seen in some documents Uh, So NTK as in needs to know or need to know. Um, And it models essentially the manual contact tracing flow in the sense that when you test positive, your phone does not upload your own random IDs, but it uploads your list of contacts. So it uploads whom you have seen And then the cloud will notify those people. So the cloud can somehow determine who belongs to which ID and then notifies them. And that's where the problems begin because that means that in the cloud backend, assuming that in the end, a lot of people will be infected, you can learn a social graph. So you can see who was in contact with whom, because you get that link information, which the decentralized approach never learns any linkage. The linkage only ever appears locally on the phones and never leaves them. Because in the decentralized version, you only publish stuff about you. In the centralized approach, you publish stuff about others. And that's why there is linkage information that can be aggregated. And so that's the downside for that approach is that the central authority, the central servers, they can learn who was in contact with whom and transitively who knows whom uh, in, in case the graph grows very large because a lot of people are infected.
2: But you said it's not a clear cut Uh, win-or-lose situation between the protocols so so this also what what do you see as a positive of this approach
1: so the positive is that you never learn who infected you you just learn one bit which is you have been in contact please be careful but you get no information when and yeah from what id that infection came to you so that's the, that's the part where the centralized version is a little better than the decentralized version because that part is remains hidden. Of course, if in the last two weeks you only met one person uh, and then you get notified that you were in contact with someone, then you can easily figure out who that was. So that is still a leak that you cannot avoid. Uh, But at least if you have met multiple persons, then you don't know who is the potential infectant. So this
0: one question I have, so one thing I don't quite understand. I mean, what's the definition of I meet somebody? Because if I go buying groceries, I will probably meet a 100 people. Um, And most of them, I have nothing to do with... Except for the fact that they were at the same supermarkets as me at the same time as I was there. So how so that so that, so that reduces the social graph thingy at least in my head right now?
1: Mm, because there's a lot of false positives. Yeah. A lot of people you have no social relationship, but they're still in that graph. Yeah, that's true.
2: But my tinfoil hat would say, um, so if I'm if I'm the police and I know there are these people that I really would like to, to know who, who they hang out with, then I just take the two people and check all their... I just send them a you've been infected thing. Um, I get all their contacts back and I can, from um, two sets of data, see who the common people are between these two people and that rules out most of the accidental contacts.
1: That's true. There is that risk, but... And I don't know how what you would need to do as an attack uh, or to, to, to mount that attack. Uh, remember that the IDs that the cloud deals with are still pseudonymous. So there is no you have no connection uh, who in the back end is who in the real world until they are infected and publish their own information. Until then, you don't know who is who. Because no one has any, no one does anything with the cloud un- until that point, except for registering in the beginning and then exchanging a seed value. But then everything, all the contact tracing, is still decentralized. So even if you were the police and you wanted to follow, like Florian, um, you wouldn't know who in the database Florian is. At least that's my understanding. I don't know how you would figure that out. I mean, if you have other people who know have been in contact with Florian, then maybe over the graph information you can somehow figure out who he is. So if you have de-anonymized some of the pseudonyms and you know some, you have prior knowledge of their social graph and you match it to the social graph that you learn in the cloud, then you can probably de-anonymize further people. So there's probably research by the privacy community on, on how that works, how you can de-anonymize uh, a social graph. And I think the results are quite staggering there is that you don't need a lot of information in order to de-anonymize many people um, because contacts in the real world are usually probably somewhat predictable and repeating. um so th- that is definitely a risk that you can de-anonymize some of the information that the cloud collects there. That is that is for sure. So that is a downside of the centralized approach, definitely. Um, the advantages of the centralized approach, I would say, one is the the one which I mean I don't know how severe that is is that but you don't you don't learn who infected you that's one one advantage I would say and the other is more of an operational advantage is that in the decentralized approaches there is potentially a lot of computation needed and a lot of traffic needed and you can trade one for the other so you can have less transfer data and more computation or or the other way around. But if a lot of people participate in that system, uh, then it has a bit of a problem scaling to large numbers of infected persons. So there is a risk of it breaking down or, or you would need additional information like GPS coordinates in order to only download a relevant subset of the information and then again, you would combine it with GPS, which adds additional additional yeah fears, I would guess.
2: Okay, so but I think the I think what people read is they read centralized approach and that sort of triggers the turnkey yeah. police state uh, fears.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a negligible risk, I would say. I mean, it is certainly there is a lot of information being aggregated in that backend. Um, there are ways being discussed on how to, yeah, kind of obfuscate the information that you upload. So, for example, when you think of you are infected, and you dump your entire contact list in one go then the server knows that these are all your contacts because you uploaded them in one large package. So one idea would be to upload them in multiple chunks and maybe over a mixed network, like in the Tor sense, uh, so that the servers don't even learn that those belong together because they don't need that information. They don't need to know that they belong together. They just need to know whom to inform. And if that happens in one upload or in multiple little ones, doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's a matter of time. But if you spread that over a day, that's probably acceptable delay. Uh, and uh, if you if you route it over multiple obfuscating routes, then the server no longer sees that they are somehow connected. And then that makes it harder to learn the social graph.
0: And if you route it through Tor or another mixed network, then the server doesn't even learn that they're connected to you,
1: to the exacted person, yeah. TM. Yeah. So that, that those are some approaches that are being discussed. I mean, none of that is planned to be implemented right now, unfortunately. Because of, I guess, of operational issues. I mean, there is all this pressure to get the system done. So adding, yeah, I want more to say that, that there's kind of a
2: layers. time to market uh, requirement.
1: Exactly, but I mean, it is already being considered that once the system has been rolled out, it is going to undergo continuous improvements for some time, probably. At least I hope so, that it's not we push it out and then it's done and, oh, we found a bug here. Well, no one maintains it now. Uh, that's that's going to be a problem. So I hope that it, it's going to be improved looking forward. But, yeah, first of all, we have to have the first version before we can think of the second version. Hmm.
2: Um, if you have to judge the, the big approaches against the time of market, um Uh, requirement do we pursue the right one
1: so i can uh, because i'm only involved in P T calls i know there's been a lot of stuff going on so the the privacy aspect that everybody is discussing right now in in public is really i would say it's an important aspect but it's not the aspect that creates the most work right now so stuff that is going on inside PET PT is uh, a lot of calibration work for the Bluetooth because um, you want to figure out from the signal strength, determine the proximity, essentially, the physical distance to to the other phone. Uh, And that depends on the phones. So they they bought like, I don't know, a hundred different types of phones and made tests with actual people. So they had tests with Bundeswehr soldiers, actually, uh, in somewhere in Berlin, where they had like grids on the floor and then a camera for the ground truth to, to know how far apart people were from each other. And then they were supposed to walk, walk around with the phones in their hands. Uh, and that was used to calibrate an algorithm that can figure out physical proximity from signal strength values. That is one thing that is ongoing. Then the whole uh, backend development, there was pen testing being done, there's security audits from the BSI. Uh, Then there is the whole aspect of how do you interoperate this with the health agencies and with the test labs because uh, in the end you want the test lab to directly enter the test result into the system and not having to call someone. And you also want to make sure that the person who uploads their data under the assumption that they are infected really is the one who isn't tested positively. So you want to somehow match that safely so that people cannot upload false Information and and kind of send everybody to quarantine because they were wall driving and collecting everybody's IDs and then claiming that they have been in contact with everyone. Uh, This is the idea I want the streets to to be
2: empty when I drive to work
1: attack. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. You can kind of clean your own commute uh, from people by registering them as I've seen them and I am now infected. Please send everybody home. Uh, so all of that needs to be avoided uh, and that needs some kind of yeah, um, integrity check for the actual lab test. So the lab tests need to be entered into the system as a valid test result somehow. And so that is all a, a flow that is being figured out together with the Robert Koch Institute and, and the, the health agencies of other countries who are participating on um, how that is supposed to work. So at least in pet PT, I can say there's a lot of that stuff going on. I'm, I don't have any information about the other projects. From some of them, if you read their public material, it looks like they are only concerned with the Security aspects of the system and build prototypes for that. So I'm not sure how much of the other work is going on, but yeah, I mean, if I judge our own public material, also the from PPT, the public material, there's also not it's also not that conclusive. So uh, the fact that you don't read about these other projects doing those things doesn't necessarily mean they're not doing it. So they could be equally far ahead. I don't know. The only problem, so regarding time to market, the only problem I see for PetPT is that we don't have the backing of the Google and Apple uh, uh, SDK that comes out, because this one does not work for us, unfortunately. It only works for the decentralized approaches because it includes this part. It includes the whole cloud backend and how and what IDs are distributed. And so with, with their uh, SDK proposal, at least as it is documented now, you can only build the decentralized versions, but not the one that PPT is is focusing at right now. So that's going to be a bit of a problem. And that might actually mean that we need to reconsider Uh, And at some point also look at the decentralized uh, schemes uh, or somehow a hybrid scheme. I don't know if that's possible or what that would look like.
2: Hmm. That feels a bit like uh, Google and Apple have sort of created facts. um, Yes. And everyone else has to sort of live with the decision they took.
1: And that's moving now a bit into the politics area here um, because some countries are probably not happy with that. So, I mean, there's probably, I mean, from from my perspective, I wouldn't say there's anything sinister or conspiracy-like going on. It's, I guess, it's simply the fact that Google and Apple would like to be in the next years, would like to... Uh, impose themselves as the gatekeepers of all kinds of health data. It's probably one of the big coming markets for them that they see. And so that's my guess why they are very happy to help out now. Uh, And they have chosen the next best approach. I don't think they have thought about it. I mean, they have probably thought about it, but uh, it's not that they picked one over the other out of some political reason. I guess it's just that this one was presented to them in a convincing fashion. And so that's the one they picked. Uh, and that's the one that's that, that follows their SDK now. Um, but of course, now we have some of the European countries, especially France, and I've also seen some news articles in the UK, who are not happy uh, with the fact that big American companies are essentially dictating them now how they have to implement their uh, yeah, their contact tracing frameworks. Um, so there was an article now in... in from, the, from one of the French ministers uh, who was yeah sort of publicly attacking them for making facts without really consulting with the people in charge in those countries. And it's going to be interesting if there's movement there or if they stay where they are. So, yeah, I don't know, but... I guess they see that as a big chance of moving into the health data market. It's not that they would gain any data from the current from the current efforts, but at least it would be a big PR win if they could pull this off.
2: And I mean from the from the other perspective, if they would have consulted with 50 people, then uh, they would have 50 proposals to yes, choose from
1: of course they would i mean yeah for them it's probably easiest if they just pick something and implement it and they, they, um, they, they probably had enough work doing that so yeah. i don't want to to downplay what they did i mean it, they moved yeah, very quickly yeah and that's the, the,
2: the, the slightly sarcastic way of seeing it is um, as google or apple you can say like well which is the f- big french company we can talk to oh you have none. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, too bad <laughs> Yeah, and I think true. the same applies to Germany. So no, yeah.
0: don't want to hack on the French people. Um. Oh, but they could talk to T systems. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, to be to be honest, um, it's probably also. I mean, when when did Google and Apple announced this? It was like two or three weeks ago or something, and then they said, "Well, we'll yeah. have it in May," and everyone's like that's quick so Mm -hmm. um, I guess in that kind of time frame you don't choose between or you don't implement 50 different options you just pick the one that's that sounds reasonable and was presented to you just as you said was presented to you uh, in a fast fashion
1: So I would I would guess that that's what happened, that someone in the Switzerland universities had the right phone number at hand and called someone and told them, yeah, we have this proposal now here. It has the backing of some of our privacy people. Uh, Is there anything you can do? And then someone at the other end said, oh, yeah, sure. We'll Send it over. We'll have a look. And if they found it reasonable, then they had enough work. Doing all the implementation because it's that's probably not easy, and they have already said that they're gonna backport it to all the older OS versions as well, so that not just the newest phones get it. So that's probably a lot of testing that they have to do, and they can also make it in a way that it's sensitive to battery usage, which is something we haven't talked about yet. If, if, if that's a problem, so I guess it would be if you. If you have to play dirty tricks, that the phone stays awake all the time because there is not enough API to do it properly in the background, um, then that would that would be a battery issue as well. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting who is going to adapt, whether they can offer some more access so that multiple approaches can be implemented, or whether whether we here in Europe have to just be pragmatic. And look at what's there and figure out how to use it. Mm.
2: And also from the uh, ergonomics or efficiency angle, I mean, if if, um, if I use this app and my battery is empty after two hours, then I will just yeah. stop using the app at some point, or at least some people will, which sort of defeats the whole point because yeah, um, a, a sizable fraction of the population has to use this. Otherwise, it's pointless
1: that's very true so some of the numbers that we have heard is that somewhere upwards of 60 70 percent have to use it and otherwise it makes no sense and that's a pretty high number so that, that that already sounds somewhat unrealistic to me is that that many people would install it and run it but if there's any of those problems if it's a battery problem or if it's uh, if it doesn't run on the on the older on some of the older versions, then you would probably lose enough people so that the whole approach becomes pointless. And that's also some of the arguments that we have heard. Is this whole discussion of decentralized versus centralized, and which privacy leak is 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 worse than the other one? Because you have some in all of the approaches. It's just you have to decide which one you're going to live with. Um, it's sort of the lesser discussion. The actual discussion is how do we make it work in a reasonable way so that enough people use it, so that it actually makes sense, because otherwise we can stop discussing. If 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 it, if we have two competing approaches in the end and every one half of the population uses the one approach and the other half uses the other approach and they're not interoperable, then none of them have gained anything. So... Yeah, I, I guess the coming weeks will be interesting because they will. Some something has to happen
2: um, at some point. Uh, so you mentioned a good point. So which app is it going to be? So who decides? Um, is there going to be a big government committee that looks at all the apps and then just says, um, by fiat, uh, this is going to be the German contact tracing app?
1: So probably I guess something like that will happen at some point is that there is an official endorsement. Of course, right now I have heard nothing of it being mandatory for anything Mm. because I guess that would again limit the public trust in it if we are forced to use it or even if there is like nudging is that things like if you have installed it, you can, I don't know, go to concerts again or go to uh, the movies again. If you don't have it installed, you can't. I guess that would immediately be attacked in courts. Um, And then I don't know what the outcome would be or or, or people would out of protest not use it just because these things are happening. But I guess there will be uh, a suggestion of which one to use from official from official entities like the Robert Koch Institute is that they give one of these apps their official endorsement but that's uh, but about the strongest I can imagine um,
2: but all the different projects I mean all of the projects need to have some sort of funding is this currently all coming from um, the big source and they just fund everything and hope one of the project uh, one of the projects makes it
1: yeah, so how the money aspect works, I don't actually have much insight into that. So from what I have heard so far, at least in PEP PT, everybody works on their own terms for now. So then no money has changed hands yet, as far as I'm aware. Uh, this is all being figured out behind the scenes I presume is that some companies who are supposed to maintain those apps in the next months that they are probably going to receive some funding for that so that we can actually rely on them fixing bugs and and improving the the code base Um, but at least as the project started and as we were recruited as Borkhausen Institute we were asked to help without any compensation so our boss just said you can use some of your work time to do that uh and yeah i also probably invested some hours of my spare time here and there but so far we have not received any money for it so that's the current state of affairs i think that's not sustainable going forward and i don't know if the other projects received any funding
2: so that means that you do have different projects right now that you still sort of um, uh, work on besides this one.
1: Yes. So it's not 100% of my time that I dedicate to that. It's it's a sizable fraction, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also 40% university and that that employer has not given consent to work on this because there is no... ...quick structure to make those kinds of decisions in the university. Um, But so I'm still doing administrative work and I'm still doing teaching at the university That, that I just can't leave that behind.
2: So maybe let's go from the big project scope a bit more to to your scope. So what do you actually do in the project? You you mentioned before that uh, you do have some app development uh, experience.
1: Yeah, so my contribution so far has been a bit, yeah, quite tiny, I would say. So uh, there is an app being developed for iOS, uh, which is just sort of a demonstration app. It's just showing um, how it's supposed to work, uh, and it consumes uh, a library which contains all the core components, which is then supposed to be the basis for like, national derivatives that each country can make for uh, whatever they endorse. So it's sort of a building block of components uh, or a, 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 a toolbox of components. Uh, and the application I am developing is sort of the UI layer on top that just demonstrates how it's supposed to work. Sort of so like I'm a in, in,
2: reference yeah. implementation.
1: Yes, exactly. It's what some of the other projects already have on their on their uh, public repositories. Uh, is yeah, just sample apps for Android and iOS, and I'm working on the iOS part. It's all supposed to be open sourced at some point, so that is also something that we. Uh, were a bit involved in, or I personally was involved in in figuring out which license we can choose, because in the end, we need to be App Store compatible, which rules out some of the stronger copyleft licenses, because GPL and at least the iOS App Store does not match. Um, and so we decided on MPL, which is the Mozilla public license, which is the strongest copyleft we could find that is still App Store compatible. Uh, Because copyleft was somewhat important to us because it forces all derivative versions to also be open source. Uh, Because we we are aware that this is sort of a semi dangerous technology that you could easily use the code base to build something more sinister with it. So we wanted to make sure that this is not possible. Uh, At least Well, it's possible, but at least you would tell people what you're doing by publishing the code. And so that will hopefully happen at some point very soon now, because I think right now there's no code being published. Um, But it's supposed to happen any day now, is that there's at least the Android code going public and the backend code going public. It's um, still the centralized approach, so it will be there will be interesting press reactions to it because somehow the press has now been primed that central is bad. Which, yeah, I mean it is in some sense, but there's also privacy leaks in the other approaches. So that's not it's not a trivial decision what to do. And what I've been also told by by Stefan Köpsel is that When they decided on the security concept, what was most difficult for him is that the uh, input from the epidemiologists in the project was quite vague. They also don't know what they might need in the future. So in the future, they might have requirements that say something like, we don't want to only send the people someone has been in contact with into quarantine but also like, recursively the next hop as well. So people who have been in contact with someone who has been in contact with someone, Mm -hmm. and adding those features kind of was considered, if it's so vague, uh, what might be needed in the future, that a centralized approach is more flexible in that sense. Which also is its downside, of course, because if it is more flexible, then you can also do bad things with it more easily. But yeah, that, that was sort of a problem is that the constraints weren't quite clear, is what do we need to provide in terms of information and in terms of features for the system to evolve in the future? And yeah, so I mean, there's probably a lot more research needed in order to figure out the exact advantages and disadvantages of all the approaches and then choose the best
0: so one thing that uh, that's still a little bit unclear to me is um, how does it work across europe so we just uh, you know talked a little bit about uh, there will be a german version of the app Uh, there will be probably a swiss app um, that looks like it's going to be this uh, decentralized version at least from what I read on Twitter today. Um, There will probably be a French app and a UK app. And, well, there's people in Europe who live in one country but maybe work in another or have friends in another. And once we leave this current lockdown situation, um, people will travel across borders again. Is there anything discussed about interoperability of different
1: countries' apps? So it is being discussed within the silos of the individual approaches. That's the bad news. Okay. So, so. the decentralized versions will probably be interoperable and they also work globally because the, the, the concept is that you broadcast it to everyone. So apart from the scalability issues that they probably need to look at if, if they go global with that, the concept can easily handle this. For the centralized approaches, there is, uh, there is essentially a concept of roaming, so that you would publish to each national central storage uh, who needs to be notified, and then they would figure out whether they have that in their database or not, and then if yes, they would notify those people. So essentially it is being thought of and it is being figured out for both of the kind of approaches. But right now they're not interoperable. So if someone uses the decentralized or if someone travels to a country who endorsed the decentralized solution uh, and you're using your central version app, then that probably won't, won't work. So in the end we might need to install two apps or something. I don't know how that's going to work out.
0: Having a centralized and a decentralized version of the app running is probably the worst case for privacy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you're taking (laughs) both trade-offs in both directions.
1: (laughs) It's the worst case for everything. Yeah, yeah? you're publishing who you are and who you you have seen. Yes, yeah that's true, yeah, then the backends just need to collaborate, and then everybody knows everything
0: although even that only applies in case you are actually infected, right yeah, all yes. of this all of
1: these privacy so, leaks only yeah. happen once you are infected,
0: so the
2: the goal is to not be infected I think
1: yes, that's I think something that all the approaches can agree on, <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: Uh, okay, Flo, do we have another question?
0: No, I think uh, that was very enlightening. Thank you, Michael.
2: Yeah, I also think this was uh, super interesting. Uh, so thank you for taking the time um, yeah, even in welcome. the uh, midst of all that chaos. I think we, we wish you all the best and especially also the, the project with all the, the flaws it has. Um, I think the best yeah. outcome for everyone <laughs> is that uh, this works
1: um yeah we will see so i have to at some point also make up my mind whether i would install what we are developing (laughs) which is i think always sort of the ultimate test is, is would you install what you're doing um it's it's tough really actually because right now without the sdk support from from the os providers it's hard to build something that isn't a complete hack. So building something nice would of course be better. And that currently seems to be easier with the decentralized approach because they simply, there is the support from the OS vendors there and that's much easier to build something that looks nice uh, as an application. And that is probably better in terms of battery life and, and all that. So that would currently actually be my main reason purely out of pragmatism to favor the decentralized approach because just Apple and Google move forward and support that now. I'm not sure I like that reasoning. Is that just because Silicon Valley does it we have to now do it as well? But yeah, that's that's the fact and it's it's hard to hard to argue with that. Um from the privacy perspective if it if it wasn't this technical argument i think i could actually live with both approaches because i think you know both of those privacy leaks are sort of acceptable and they always happen only when you get infected so otherwise the backend doesn't learn anything about you or the, the in the decentralized case the other parties don't learn anything about you so yeah as you said the goal is to just not get infected and then you're fine.
2: Uh, I have this feeling that we are going to talk about this uh, again. I think there will be a, uh, it will be an interesting story in like uh, half a year
1: insight, yeah <laughs> a year <laughs> <We won>. later.
2: <laughs> Let's see which of those statements uh, age well. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say with that, uh, thanks, Michelle again, this was super interesting. Um, Thank you. For the, the listeners, um, we are happy to receive feedback. You can reach us via our website, um, which you probably found because you're listening to this. Um, you can uh, send us feedback on Twitter. You can uh, send us feedback via the Matrix or IRC channel UKVLY. Uh, it's all uh, on the website and in the show notes. Um you, Also, if you have uh, proposals for people um, who we should talk to, feel free to reach out. And with that, I would say uh, thank you and uh, until the next podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.